Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Hello, everyone, and welcome to tonight's meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm Lotus Yi Fong, a member of the club's Asia-Pacific Affairs Forum, and your chair for tonight. Thank you all for being here tonight. Our two speakers are Rebecca Fannin, who I remember from over 20 years ago, starting Silicon Dragon. She's a technology writer, author, and media entrepreneur who began her career as a journalist covering venture capital from Silicon Valley and became one of the first American journalists to write about China's entrepreneurial boom, reporting from Beijing, Shanghai, and Hong Kong. Today, she has a weekly column for Forbes, and she's a special correspondent for CNBC. Her first book, Silicon Dragon, How China is Winning the Tech Race, Profile Jack Ma, we know, all know he's Alibaba, and Robin Lee Baidu. And her second book, Start Up Asia 2011, explored how India is the next up-and-comer. Her new book, Tech Titans of China, how China's tech sector is challenging the world by working harder, innovating faster, and going global. Her media platform is Silicon Dragon Ventures. It's a weekly e-newsletter, has videos, podcasts, and her events you will see are global in many innovation hubs around the world. She's talking tonight with her good friend and business networker, Wei Jiang, who is a venture partner at Jun Fund, a Beijing-based seed fund that actively invests in early-stage Chinese startups, helping startup companies in Silicon Valley and China. He's a former executive at Google and started its marketing in Greater China, eBay, Intuit, GE, etc. He is now also the founding partner of a new fund, Momentor, so please welcome our two speakers tonight, and I'm sure everybody is going to learn something and have a lot of good questions to ask. Rebecca. Thank you. Thank you, Lotus. A pleasure to be here at the Commonwealth Club. I remember the other Commonwealth Club, uh, which was a lot older. This, spe- this space is really great. Um, so thank you, everyone, for coming here tonight. And uh hope that you'll enjoy the talk. And uh, I wanted to mention that this is really about the only place you can get the book right now because uh, we got these books direct from the printer and the warehouse. And the book doesn't actually go on release until September 3rd. So... Um, uh, have at it. <laughs> um, okay, so I think uh, Lotus gave a good introduction there, and uh, let me just uh, launch into our theme of tonight, uh, Tech Titans of China. And uh, I've given it a little bit of a twist, uh, the roots of a tech cold war, because this is very much in the news today uh, and uh, on the uh, television every day and the newspapers every day. So uh, so we cannot ignore it. Um, and the reason um, the uh, tech times of China, this is the whole basis of this, you know, this tech race that's happening with the superpowers of China and the U.S., um, 
competing with one another. And China getting, you know, rising very fast over the past um, 10, 15 years. And um, I, uh, you know, I wanted to show some uh, photos from uh, that were in my original book, uh, Silicon Dragon. And that's me with Jack Ma back in uh, Hangzhou in uh, 2006, believe it or not. And uh, Jack looked a little different then, and I looked a little different. Uh, but uh, 10 years is a very long time in the China tech space, and a lot has changed uh, since those early days of Baidu and Alibaba and Tencent. Uh, which were in my first book. So the first book was much easier to write in a way because it, there was not nearly as much happening now as there is today. Uh, so the premise then was how China is winning the tech race. And the, the, this idea uh, was very new at the time, and no one believed it. <laughs> I got tremendous backlash from Silicon Valley. You know, nobody could accept this idea. So today, uh, fast forward... Uh, we have the acceptance of tech titans of China um, and how it's challenging the world's tech sectors. It's, you know, it's just innovating so fast. Uh, everyone, these Chinese entrepreneurs are working very hard, 996, and these tech companies are going global. This is a very big shift from just a decade ago uh, that we have these gigantic tech companies arising from China, um, that are competing, uh, in some cases, with our own U.S. tech titans. Uh, now, some people could argue, yes, definitely there's an uneven uh, field, um, and uh, China has its own uh, hemisphere and its own technology isolation uh, that is very hard to penetrate, hard to penetrate the Great Wall for American companies. On the other hand, we have the same issue from China to the U.S. So these issues are becoming much more pronounced now in, in the midst of this tech cold war. Um, so the, the photos of these three here, uh, that's Robin Lee, uh, Baidu, all grown up now. Uh, when I first met him in Beijing, uh, he, they, he was just starting out. Uh, they were just starting out by copying Google, really. Uh, and, uh, and that we know what's happened with Baidu. We know what's happened with Google today. Uh, so then the second person is Joe Zai. He's the person who set up Alibaba. He's the person, he is the person who set up the whole financial structure and the whole legal structure for Alibaba. He's one of the uh, original co-founders, and I would say that without him, Alibaba would not be where it is today. Um, and so Joe Zai, uh, again, today is a billionaire. Robin Lee's a billionaire. The third person is also a billionaire. He is the founder of a Chinese electric vehicle maker uh, called Xpeng. And uh, he uh, sold his business back to, in, to Alibaba uh, about five years ago for a huge sum of money. So again, he's like, uh, he's a multi-billionaire. He's put his fortune into building this electric car company and they're doing R&D right here in Silicon Valley and they're hiring engineers right here in Silicon Valley. So this is an example of where we have, you know, China coming in and, and um, collaborating uh, with us, with, uh, with Silicon Valley. 
So I do talk in the book that I wanted to show the history of how this happened and what are the leading tech trends from China. So in the original days, it was all about copying. Copying Facebook, copying Amazon, copying YouTube, uh, and, and copying Google. Uh, and so that lasted for several years, actually, uh, until uh, things began to shift, uh, that the Chinese entrepreneurs became more confident, the venture capitalists poured more money into these companies, and then these Chinese companies began to innovate on their own terms. Uh, and so today... Um, we've seen some of the idea of Facebook with the new uh, groups, right? And uh, this is an idea that is actually borrowed from WeChat. Um, so we've also seen Facebook copying Tutiao, the 15-second the video app, which is um, a phenomenon from China. Uh, we've seen Amazon copying Alibaba. So if you go to China today and you see the Amaz you see the uh, Alibaba stores, the e-stores, the grocery stores, how many have seen those? Okay. I mean, there's so much more advanced than, than Amazon Go in the U.S., so much more. Uh, Starbucks is copying Luckin' Coffee. Has anybody here tried Luckin' Coffee? Not yet? Yeah, a few. Okay. So Starbucks is basically copying the Luck and Coffee model of, of convenience and fast delivery. They're working with Alibaba on this idea. So I, I do like to put the put up these cases of where I'm seeing Silicon Valley actually copying China ideas and uh, copying the business models as well. This slide actually shows you uh, how China's web is different. And I'm really talking here about the business models of virtual goods that are sold on live streaming. This is a major revenue generator for Chinese uh, content players. Uh, unlike the U.S., which is re very reliant on online advertising, in China it's about these virtual goods. Um, so if you go on to YY, you see these these celebrities on there who are creating their own shows, and then people are buying like little roses and little uh, gimmicky things and 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 buying them online. And that actually the performer who gets a cut of this and YY gets a bigger cut of it. But there's this whole live streaming culture in China that's developed, which I think is really interesting. Um, and then we have these super apps. Uh, so the closest thing we have in the U.S. is Uber and Uber Eats and a, maybe a few others. But uh, Meituan in China, which I write about in my book, um, has all of these lifestyle services in one. So and WeChat, again, it's a super app. You don't go anywhere without WeChat in China. I imagine a lot of you here use WeChat, right? Okay, yeah, I use it a lot too. I, I, uh, you know, you can do group chatting and texting and video and calls, and uh, I mean, it is very convenient, um, and it's much more uh, functional than our uh, WhatsApp. Much more functional because there's payment that's built into it, it's, and um, they they now have built in uh, e-commerce to this model too. So you have you can go on and shop at the same time. Um, now, I think another really interesting aspect of how China's web is developed is that it's becoming uh, rural. 
China's web is becoming rural. I mean, it has a following in rural country areas. So uh, Kwaisho's 15-second video apps are very popular among farmers and uh, countryside dwellers. Same with TikTok, um, the 15-second video apps. These are really popular in, in areas that might be Appalachia here in the U.S. Uh, this, I think, is a real key difference. And, of course, I'm not going to ignore the fact that China's web is censored and it's increasingly censored, uh, and we do uh, live with that uh, in in going to China, in dealing with China, and, uh, of course, we have an open web here, although we have uh, security issues. Both sides have security issues. Uh, okay, so... How, what are the drivers of this incredible tech boom that's happened in China? So you could say, look, it's largely because of the government. Uh, and if you look at these initiatives that the government has, like the Made in China 2025, the Belt and Road Initiative, where China is making friends with its neighbors and building out bridges and infrastructure and trading zones with up and down the the original um, Silk Road. So this this is a real aspect of China's policy that's reaching out, while at the same time the U.S. is kind of going inward um, and not making many friends with our neighbors either, uh, U.S. and Canada. Um, now, China also has the Internet Plus program. It's got this talent. It's got the consumer boom. It has a digital lifestyle. It's much more China's um, population is very uh, tech savvy. Uh, I've just found that people adapt very quickly to new ideas, um, more quickly than in the U.S. Uh, in New York City, I still find that I use cash. In China, the cash is gone, email's gone. Uh, China's just totally bypassed that. Um, and I think uh, this is a uh, real driver of um, China's tech boom. Um, the last point here is about how Tencent and Alibaba now rank among the 10 most valuable companies worldwide. Uh, so they're up there with, with the giants globally. This uh, sh slide shows you the Internet users and the smartphone users, and we can see how much more uh, pronounced it is in China than it is in the U.S. Uh, 829 million Internet users in China, about a third of that in the U.S. Same thing on the smartphone side. Mobile messaging, WeChat has 1 billion users, um, and... Facebook has it beat at 1.9 billion, but Facebook is global. And WeChat is still mostly China. So these numbers are pretty incredible. I like this slide on venture capital because it does show you how far China has come since 2010 in venture capital investment and how it's caught up to the U.S. So last year... Uh, China and the U.S. venture capital markets were almost the same size, almost the same size. And you can see where it was. Um, eight years ago, uh, China was a fraction of the U.S. side. 
venture capital fundraising, same thing. Uh, you'll see that Sand Hill Road has gone in and invested in China. And a number of these Sand Hill Road players who are pictured here were the original uh, people who went to China uh, and went to India as well uh, to begin investing. So, And this was, this was very leading edge. This is going back about um, 20 years, I would say. And back then, the idea that it was that venture capitalists who were investing outside of a 50-mile radius of Silicon Valley, they were crazy. Uh, they're not going to do that. It's just too far and it's too foreign. Uh, so I'm writing about all this at the same time that Sand Hill Road has this idea that it's too far and it's too foreign. I remember that's a direct quote from Don Valentine of Sequoia Capital, who I interviewed. Um, and I like that quote, uh, but it's not true. <laughs> uh, so where did all this money go uh, that these venture capitalists were investing and spending money? They were uh, actually making unicorns, not only in, in um, the U.S. and in Singapore and in Southeast Asia and India, but China in a big way. Uh, and China is ranked um, number second in the world for the number of unicorns. And it also has the number one ranked unicorn, which is ByteDance. And uh, ByteDance is the um, founder of Tutiel, the 15-second video app that I mentioned before. And they actually have a Los Angeles headquarters uh, where they're uh, very aggressively looking at new investments in the U.S. So there are, they are one to watch. Um, and some people say that Baidu, Alibaba, Tencent, the original bot, uh, the new B is ByteDance. <laughs> so <laughs> watch for that. Okay, so I do say I have this photo of me with the founder of Ofo, the bike sharing company. This is an idea. The bike sharing phenomena originated in China. Ofo was one of the, one of the leaders, uh, and uh, Ofo has not made it. So some of these unicorns in China, just uh, they just did not have the managerial know-how to make it, uh, and OFO's one. Um, global patent filings, another one of these leading indicators. China's come way up on the curve and ranks second in the world for the number of patents globally. And uh, the World Intellectual Property Organization says that if this trend continues, China could surpass the U.S. within two years. And... This is, uh, I think, something that we do need to pay attention to and recognize uh, from the West, that we do ne need to recognize that China is an innovator today. This uh, next slide is, uh, shows Neil Shen of Sequoia Capital China. Neil Shen was ranked number one in the world, the top venture capitalist in the world uh, by Forbes. And uh, he's on the Midas list. Two years in a, uh, two years in a row ranked number one. Uh, and he's invested in a number of the companies that I talk about in the book. And 
He's joined by several other companies and uh, several other companies and venture capitalists who have also invested in companies that are in the book, like Hans Tong of GGV Capital, Jenny Lee of GGV Capital, Hearst Lin of D- DCM, Stephen G of Sequoia, Richard Liu of Morningside, and James Mee of Lightspeed. They're all in the book. Um, okay, now... What could go wrong? And I think uh, you probably are all waiting for this, um, this <laughs> negative side of the picture. Um, but there are a lot of things that could go wrong. And some of these are already starting to happen. The slowing growth. And I'm talking from China's side now. What could go wrong with China's rise as a tech giant? The slowing growth, the aging population, the debt issue, the corruption, the protests that we're seeing. Uh, and the tech cold war, which is having an impact on how innovation develops. Uh, it's not as it's starting to break apart where we're starting to see U.S. and China do separate innovation cycles instead of together, which has been the trend. There's been a lot of collaboration between U.S. and China on technology innovation and on venture capital investing. So now with this tech cold war, we're starting to see this break apart and we're seeing these tech universes develop and this is not a this is not a good thing for the for the market uh because look if we have two different um 5g uh systems develop uh this will not be good and consumer prices will rise and countries will have to decide are they going with china or are they going with the uh, the other standard in the world so this is going to be the 5G uh, uh, race is going to be the 5G development is going to be something to watch to see how that unfolds. Now, I did mention uh, that one of the things that could go wrong is the uh, regulatory issues. And this has had a major impact as the U.S., as this as these universes uh, begin to develop separately and we're seeing Washington, D.C. Uh, reacting uh, and increasingly seeing China as a threat. And we do see passage of new regulation um, and stronger scru- scrutiny of deals from China to the U.S. And this has made the deal making environment uh, slide substantially. Um, and uh, not only in foreign direct investment, but also in mergers and acquisitions. Uh, it's just way down from what it was. The peak was 2016, by the way. Uh, so now what we're seeing is the China dealmakers are making smaller deals and they're making more strategic deals, not the big trophy deals that were happening like Baidu and Alibaba and Tencent invested in Uber they invested in Lyft. They inv- invested in Magic Leap. They invested in Tesla. I mean, th- these are things that uh, have been happening uh, for the past five or six years. And now th- this is not this is almost uh, almost dead now. <laughs> this trend is almost dead. Uh, whether it's going to come back again is another another issue. In my book, I do talk about the tech sectors that matter most in China's rise and I think some of them are artificial intelligence, uh, which I would say is best represented by Baidu at this point, because Baidu has pivoted from search into AI. 
Uh, if you look at FinTech, some of the leading players are Alipay, WeChat Pay, Sesame Credit. Sesame Credit is, is again, another idea that came from China where they use your financial uh, scores to determine uh, social social behavior, really, because, you know, if you have a bad score, you may not get a train ticket, you may not be able to buy a train ticket and things like that. Sesame credit is something that would not happen here in the U.S., but it is it is prominent now in China. Um, facial recognition uh, is one of these areas that if you go to China today, uh, you cannot escape the eye of the camera. Uh, it's a little bit disconcerting. Um, and uh, it's obviously banned here in San Francisco. It's become an issue with the Hong Kong protests where uh, they're trying to see what the fa- who the face is. Um, so uh, facial recognition is, an, is a tech sector that matters very much. Uh, e-commerce, games, digital entertainment, on-demand services, 5G, uh, drones. The leading drone maker in the world is uh, DJI which is from China. And they're also, um, all of these companies are profiled in the book. Okay. And I'm almost done. Uh, but I did want to point out that I think that since we're in California and the electric vehicles are getting, you know, really pushed here in the California economy. And I think uh, California is leading this trend in the U.S. Um, but China is way ahead on electric vehicles. Um, and the mass adoption of autonomous driving, uh, where in Shanghai, the entire bus fleet is uh, electric. Um, and we have these Chinese companies that are like NEO. Uh, it's been known as a Tesla killer, and they raised a, a lot of money on NASDAQ, or actually New York Stock Exchange in 2018. Um, so they're moving along, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't bet on Neo really uh, cutting through and becoming the Tesla killer because they had a $1.4 billion loss last year. And, uh, you know, this is a tough road. Um, so at the same time, Tesla's trying to get into China. Uh, they're doing better now. They are going to be building a factory outside of Shanghai to get around the tariff issue. Um, and... Now I think we can see these quotes from leading experts such as Kai Fu Li of Sinovation Ventures. China has gone from mere copycats to sheer global domination in AI. Uh, and from David Chow from DCM, the next Steve Jobs will come from China. Uh, from Jerry Yang, co-founder of Yahoo, it will be only one decade before China rivals the West for tech leadership. And I think we're, we're, we're at that point. Uh, and I think I'm going to stop about there, but um, these uh, photos that are on the slide do represent the Chinese tech brands that have emerged. Remember I said in the beginning that um, a number of these companies are, you know, are in the same kinds of spaces that our tech giants are here in the U.S. So some of them are uh, Didi. Uh, Didi is the company that actually beat Uber in China and uh, took over Uber's business in China. Um, DJI is the company that's most like uh, Amazon and Walmart together. Uh, the drone company DJI, which I mentioned before, 
Meituan, the super app company. These are all companies that have sprung up um, and are giants today in China. Uh, so I would like to leave it at that. And, uh, and I'll, I'll, well, there's one other point I should make, which I think if you are following this trend and you're interested in it, the next trend is to go to Southeast Asia uh, because China is becoming too hard. <laughs> It's, it's just, uh, it's too today for investors. I'm hearing this from venture. I'm not, uh, uh, this is what I'm hearing from venture investors that they're, they're moving, they're looking elsewhere. Um, and, uh, they're looking to where they're welcome. And, uh, you know, sometimes here in the U.S. deals are not making it through. And, uh, I think, uh, Wei Zhang will be talking with me about this a little bit in, in, uh, our, in our Q&A chat. But, um, this is very, a really interesting leading edge trend. GDV Capital has set up an office in Singapore. Dreaming Ventures just did, uh, its first deal in the region in Southeast Asia. So, you know, China could actually lose out in this tech war because of, and this trade war because of these issues that are, that are coming. Um, so, okay. Well, thank you very much for listening. I appreciate it. And, um, we are going to be having some books, uh, afterwards for a signing, but I would like to invite uh, Wei Jiang from Zen Fund to come up here and join me on stage. Thank you. Hello. Thank you so much. So what did you, what did you think of my uh, of my slides? <laughs> Very good. Um, excellent. Okay. He he hadn't actually seen them before, so no, it's the first time. <laughs> you are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Learn about our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live for any of our 500 programs each year. You can find us online at commonwealthclub.org. Now back to our program. Okay. So, uh, Wei, um, so what did you think? Uh, I mean, did I get anything wrong? No, I think um, um, uh, there are a lot of things that um, um, I also uh, have similar observations. Sure. And originally, I was also going to share some of this. So, um, okay. So, yeah. Well, tell, tell it from your personal perspective. Tell it from, from Zen Fund's perspective. And you're, okay. I mean, you've had all this experience in China. You were there with eBay and, yeah. and Google and then with venture capital investing. Well, the first thing uh, is that uh, I have some scars to show because uh, <laughs> the photo, uh, OFO, uh, was one of our uh, portfolio companies. Yeah. So at one time, that was the, the uh, darling of our old portfolio companies. Sure. And the valuation had gone up by hundreds of times. And then, uh, but uh, we were too loyal to the founders. So <laughs> <laughs> we stuck with them to the end. Um, but yeah, so um, it's very interesting that uh, if I recall, um, um, you know, in the past um, decade or two, uh, maybe two decades, um, so uh, there are um, so uh, so much changes um, in in China, yeah. and at very rapid speed. So uh, I was uh, working in the Silicon Valley um, um, uh, in the early days of internet, and then uh, so eBay sent me to Shanghai uh, in two thousand four. Uh, so I was there uh, in the front line competing with uh, Alibaba. <laughs> Alibaba. Oh wow! So that's that's um, from 2004 to 2006. 
Um, and then, uh, so I left uh, because uh, I didn't see any hope uh, in uh, uh, late 2005. Uh, yeah. So, um, so the photo you took with Jack Ma was oh, the, yeah. right after that. Um, oh, sure. So, uh, Actually, I wrote about that a whole eBay and Alibaba yeah. a competition in my first book, Silicon Dragon. Right. So it was really, you know, I didn't know you then, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, I'm sure you have some scars from then. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, even more scars. Um, so I was the, uh, um, the, the VP of uh, category management, uh, which is um, kind of the, the uh, marketplace manager. So uh, we competed uh, really directly with uh, Jack and uh, his team. So a um, lot of the stories uh, nowadays we hear from them uh, are really glorified. And, oh, uh, oh, yeah. Uh, there are a lot of interesting yeah, stuff. This is uh, true. You know, he uh, he's now the godfather father in China about you know business, uh, taking the high road. Uh, but um, uh, my memory seemed to suggest otherwise. <laughs> yeah. So uh, well, he had a hard time raising money from Sandhill Road. He did. Uh, we tried a few things uh, yeah. to uh, make that uh, effect. Um, but uh, uh, there are also other things that. Um, you know, maybe one story I would share is, uh, you know, uh, so eBay uh, acquired uh, Ethernet. Uh, Ethernet uh, at the time won the C2C war uh, in China. So Alibaba didn't really get into the space uh, back then. This is 2003. So eBay acquired um, Ethernet. And then, uh, uh, so um, they wanted to make Ethernet part of the global trading platform. Right. So they um, uh, unified the, uh, the IT platform. This is where they sent me to China. And uh, um, so they wanted to have more seasoned uh, people to uh, help run the business. But um, uh, that's where the, the, uh, the, the trouble starts. But um, I don't want to get into that part <laughs> too yeah. much. I just wanted to mention one uh, uh, interesting fact uh, that shows how entrepreneurs in China can be, uh, is how aggressive they can be. So uh, we were happy. We had a lot of money. Uh, eBay was the largest internet company at the time. Uh, we moved into this uh, building in the uh, People's Square, right, Shanghai. Uh, so that's a premium spot. Um, and then uh, every day we walk out of the uh, uh, the, the office and then uh, we get to the uh, lobby. And then there are Alibaba HR people waiting for us, right? They have this <laughs> banner, like, uh, okay, eBay employees, welcome here, right? Uh, tri triple salary. So uh, <laughs> they would personally greet everybody who walks out of the uh, elevator. Um, so um, that's one story. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but you weren't persuaded. Uh, not me. Uh, I wish I, <laughs> I wish I knew better. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay. So turning to a, a more recent example with Ofo, the yes. bike sharing company, uh, the, a very young founder and, uh, yeah. uh, okay. So what persuaded you to invest in him and how, in that, and what happened? So, yeah, so um, the founder came out of Beida uh, or Peking University, yeah. um, and he was the uh, student leader there. Yeah. Uh, so uh, that's uh, very much the, the profile we like to invest. Yeah. Uh, so so Zhenfan is known to invest in people uh, where um, when they just had ideas, uh, you know, and we have a very high tolerance if they pivot, um, you know, later on. So we just bet on people. And then, uh, so that's a typical founder we love to invest. So um, then he uh, he actually pivoted a couple of times, um, and then uh, um, things took off very fast. So um, in one year, I think uh, uh, the uh, uh, the valuation went up by almost hundred uh, x. 
um, you know, they went through five rounds of uh, capital raising. Um, and, uh, you know, um, now that we look back, right, there's a, a OFO, there's a Mobag. Yeah. Uh, Mobag was started by another uh, legendary um, in, in, individual. So, um, you know, we from investment community, we felt that um, the reason they gone up so fast and they gone down, gone down so fast is, you know, partially at least, uh, you know, major uh, major part, I think, um, due to the uh, the capital. Right. So uh, we uh, come in too fast, uh, not us, but, you know, later on, uh, the big capital. And then the, the pressure is too much, right? All they did is trying to bury the other party with more money and more bikes on the street. Um, they didn't really have the time to uh, to sit there and uh, think about the uh, business model, how to make the business model viable, yeah. you know, how to make the unit economics work. So um, in comparison, now in the U.S., there's a similar company called Lime, right, Lime Bank. Yeah. So um, they have gone um, one or maybe a couple steps further. So, um, you know, but when I asked the founders, um, you know, uh, what happened, uh, they were like, well, just didn't have time, right? Too much money. We just want to bury uh, the other party. Uh, we yeah. think we can do it in three, three months. But, Right, right. Yeah. Very aggressive Chinese, young Chinese entrepreneurs. And uh, so the story with Mobike is they actually had a a better ending to their story. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not sure how much better, but it's better. Okay. Uh, Okay. So the Mobike brand is no longer there. But they're part of DD, right? So yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so they were acquired. The, the the major competitor to Ofo was acquired by another Chinese company. Uh, so that's quite interesting. Um, but Ofo is still trying to, from what I understand, still trying to keep going by uh, yeah. pivoting again into e-commerce right. or something. Right. We wish them luck. You uh, wish them luck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So um, yeah. So it's uh, uh, I think a majority of the the founders are no longer there. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it's a tough battle. Yeah, it's it's tough. It's tough here in the bike sharing business here in in uh, California too, right here in San Francisco. Yeah, I think one thing you touch upon, one key word is uh, um, uh, the managerial uh, capability was not quite there. Yeah, very young. Yeah, and they expanded too rapidly overseas. Right, <clears throat> right, that too. Yeah, that too. But. Um, now, let, let's turn a little bit to the uh, U.S.-China uh, tech and trade war. Um, how, how is this impacting Silicon Valley, do you think? Uh, so in several ways. Um, I think, um, uh, you know, as you point out, uh, there was a, a CFIUS reform. Um, it's a new regulation, new law uh, uh, that was introduced last year, August last year, uh, signed by President Trump. Um, so that really restricts um, uh, foreign investment, but particularly Chinese investment, uh, quite a bit. Uh, this is like a landmark change. Um, so um, I think um, in the uh, last four years, uh, leading up to 2018, uh, uh, there were at least $10, million, $10 billion with a B invested from mainland China to the high-tech startups uh, in the valley. Yeah. Um, so uh, that come to a stop um, you know, after the new law was introduced. Um, and uh, for for us, you know, Jin Fund um, also is impacted. So that's um, why I set up this uh, new fund called Momentor. And then uh, so I try to we try to comply to the law so we can still continue to invest. Um, yeah. So uh, so that's so this is a U.S. where uh, the fund has to have a U.S. citizen. 
to run the, the GP, the top GP needs to be a U.S. person. Right. Yeah. And then uh, the uh, the foreign uh, investors, LPs, cannot really have too much influence uh, to this, right? They cannot veto the, the GP's decision. They cannot determine uh, the uh, strategic direction or even compensation. And the foreign uh, LPs cannot really get the uh, non-public material information from the portfolio companies. So they cannot sit on the board, obviously. So very big shift. Yeah. Um, in the past few years, right, it's very common for me to see, to meet uh, Chinese investors. Some of them are uh, Chinese domestic VCs. Others are entrepreneurs that, you know, went to a public and they have money. They would come to, uh, to see me and say, uh, look, you know, I'm not interested in uh, smart homes or new energies, right? When you see deals, let me know. I'll co-invest, right? What they really want is uh, they want to invest. They want to learn from these guys. Um, you know, I don't think uh, uh, the the uh, initial motivation is to steal uh, the trade secret or IPs, right? But um, they don't mind to buy uh, or later on license. Um, so, so all these are optional uh, on the table. Um, so, uh, but today uh, I don't see any of those anymore. Um, and then uh, uh, for the ones that made the investment, uh, many of them are thinking, how do they get out? Uh, because they can't manage it anymore, right? They can't really pick up the phone and say, what's new? Uh, that's illegal, supposedly. Mm. So. And for venture funds that are de- or have been dependent on China capital in the past are having trouble raising new funds. Yeah, very true. So, uh, you know, there... Um, it's common for um, uh, for Chinese funds to get uh, um, uh, government to be their LP, and then uh, so that's uh, definitely a big no no in, in here. Uh, and then uh, also, uh, if you um, rely on a lot of Chinese LPs, you know, first of all, there's a uh, restriction uh, to transfer RMB out um, to uh, US dollars, um, so uh, that dries up. Uh, and then uh, the other part, you know, if even if people have a lot of U.S. dollars, they're nervous. They don't know what's going on. They don't know what's going to happen between the two countries. Right, right. So, and are you seeing uh, with your own deal making, have you seen, I know Alibaba's had some deals that didn't go through because of this new regulation and, and new, you know, looking at critical critical security deals, anything to do that might have a military application or anything that's considered critical technology. Yeah. Um, and uh, so these, th- these deals are being blocked now from China. And, and what, you know, are you seeing this from your own perspective? And that, how is it impacting Silicon Valley? Yeah, so definitely. Uh, so the fact that, um, uh, you know, most Chinese investors stop making investment is uh, because of that. Yeah. So um, I know a few people, a few funds are wanting to make investment. So they apply uh, for the uh, permission um, through CVS. And then uh, most of these guys um, don't get reply. Um, and if they do, then they go back to the uh, end of line and wait for another 45 days or 30 days. So uh, on the other hand, um, uh, for some other foreign investment, uh, it um, it's not so hard. It's easy. You know, I have one deal that uh, uh, SoftBank, uh, being the Jap- Japanese uh, fund, um, is very confident, right? He's uh, They're making investment today. So they put uh, investment in two tranches. The first tranche, they send the money right away. And then they start fi- uh, filing the uh, application. So that shows how confident they are, right? This will go through. Uh, supposedly, you know, for for uh, um, uh, uh, uh in, in theory, you're not supposed to do that. You're supposed to file first and then invest later. So, but you know, for Chinese investors, they would never dare to do that. <laughs> <laughs> 
So what does this mean for startups in, in Silicon Valley? Are they going to be hurting for capital or should they look to China for capital today at all? Or should they be scared off by it? I think or? most of them stop looking for Chinese investors. Uh, they most just of don't want to have the trouble. Uh, oh. Because, uh, you know, CVS, the new law requires uh, um, uh, three things, right? You know, first, um, uh, foreign investors file for applications. And then secondly, uh, you, you file 45 working days before you make investment. And thirdly, uh, you pay up to 1% uh, application fee to the government. So all these are pretty pro- prohibitive, right? You know, no hot deals will be waiting to wait for 45 days, um, you know. And also, you know, you pay 1% for this deal. You only charge like 2.5% for mm. management fee, right? So. Oh, yeah, sure. What do you, what do you think about this IPO trend? All, all these Chinese tech companies have been going public on, on New York Stock Exchange and NASDAQ. Uh, and I've been hearing some rumblings that this may be some an area that may be examined more in the future. Uh, do you think that that's a likelihood? Yeah, I think uh, a lot of people are talking about that. You know, people are nervous. I think uh, if that uh, was to, uh, going to happen, um, then um, uh, it's a it's a even bigger blow to uh, yeah the Chinese investment community. So what do you think about the future of these cross-border flows? I mean, for years, U.S. and China have done deals together and, and venture capital and technology innovation and R&D. Is this going to break apart now? Yeah, I, I'm not sure what's going to happen. But uh, uh, from my observation, right, you know, so rationally, uh, I see tremendous uh, synergy between the two um, uh, economies. You know, they're just so complementary, um, very um, um, uh, just complete, uh, complete each other, I guess, in many ways. Yeah. Uh, so U.S. is very good in certain things, and China is good in uh, some, some other areas. Um, so um, I wish there is a way uh, that uh, uh, people can find out, and then, uh, um, you know, so they don't really completely decouple. Yeah, uh, right. That's decoupling, right? So, what about the future with your own fund now? What are you yeah. investing in, and uh, how are you avoiding these kind of issues? Yeah, so it's um, uh, probably not nice to say, but uh, I I sort of benefit from it. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, I I guess um, with all these uh, Chinese money gone, uh, there's a big void. Um, you know, so there are uh, yeah. startups uh, needing money. And, um, um, you know, some overseas Chinese also do startups, you know, some, um, do a quite good job. You know, a good example would be, uh, Zoom, um, you know, the video conferencing company. Right. So, um, there are a bunch of others to follow. So I think that uh, the, uh, overseas Chinese have been around for a while. And then the, some of them came at a relatively young age, right? They can now take on many different things, uh, when they do startups, not just enterprise, uh, enterprise services, but also B2C, many other things. So it's a pretty vibrant, uh, field out there. So, uh, I feel that, you know, it's, um, uh, it's easier for me, uh, you know, less competition. <laughs> sure. Um, and then, uh, uh, also there, are, uh, uh, other investment that made by, uh, Chinese investors in the past, you know, they're looking for, uh, uh, opportunities to liquidate. So that's also a good chance. Oh, I see. So there's be an opportunity to buy into those companies and offload them from. I see. Wow. Clever. Um, (laughs) uh, Well, we're going to get to questions in a moment. So please start thinking about your questions while um, I ask more. uh, Just one more question about the kinds of tech deals you're investing in today. 
Yeah. What sectors? So uh, uh, we uh, so Jinfan uh, has this tradition. So we invest in um, anything, um, and then uh, <laughs> we uh, you know it's funny that our our founder um, Bob, um, who is a celebrity in China, yeah, uh, he's also on the Neil Midas list. Um, oh the, sure, yeah. yeah. So he uh, one time he invests in this guy uh, out of Google, uh, you know, a senior scientist. So then he forgot about him, uh, forgot his business. So a couple of years later, uh, he ran into this guy and said, hey, I've been thinking about you, uh, and I think you should be perfect to do an AI startup. He's like a, uh, you know, teacher, right? So he was a teacher. Teacher, uh, I'm one of the best in AI. He said, are you? Great. <laughs> so he just didn't remember what he did. He didn't care. Uh, he's uh, the founder of a famous AI company, Yeah, he's right? one of the best. He was, uh, you know, on your list. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So uh, that shows that, um, you know, the tradition for us is just bet on people. And then that even though he may start from something else, um, he'll even, they're really good, right? They'll take your uh, to the, the right sector, right, business right. model. Right. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. Uh, now let's turn to the audience for questions and answers. If you could just say uh, who you are and so we have some contact. Sure. Uh, my name's Dan. Thanks. Uh, thanks for talking, both of you. So, um, so I think the, the rise of Chinese tech has been uh, alluded to by a lot of policymakers and, and they kind of use it to do a lot of fear mongering around this whole, um, notion of a cold war and our arms race. And, um, one of the justifications that they always use, um, for why we should be scared that Chinese tech is rising is, is the connections between Chinese tech companies like Baidu, Alibaba, and the Chinese government. You know, they say that Chinese communist officials are sitting on their boards. And and I think, um, you know, the oppression of, of the Uyghurs has entered um, the conversation a lot. So I wonder, you know, to what extent is this accurately drawn out by publications, you know, mainstream media like the New York Times, who do a lot of these big think pieces? And and how involved is the Chinese government actually in these tech companies? Like, should we is is there a good reason for us to be worried about their ties to the government? Uh, I I feel uh, in theory they're there. Um, you know, um, they have the control, but uh, I'm not sure how actively they're doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, I know for a fact that uh, if you uh, if you're a media company, right, um, uh, they uh, keep a pretty tight control, um, but mostly for their stability reasons, right? So um, you're not supposed to uh, do certain things or say certain things. Um, that's what uh, they care about the most. Um, they would literally have regular instructions to you, uh, occasionally on a daily basis, right? Tell you what to say, what not to say. Um, um, so if you're a startup, uh, if you're a tech company, you know, even for large ones like Tencent, right, they literally have hundreds of people, um, you know, looking at the content and they have AIs to help them, which is not quite, um, well, in, uh, technically not different than, uh, um, than, you know, what you see at, uh, uh, Facebook, but they're just looking at different contents. Um, so I think that's for uh, censorship reasons. Yeah. 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 So, um, you know, so over here, uh, you know, Google or Facebook, we censor the, uh, you know, pornographic stuff or violent stuff or, you know, terrorist. Um, there they censor, um, the government, um, um, direction. 
Right, and they've had a crackdown uh, for on Tencent for gaming, um, addictive game yeah. playing young young youngsters who are on. Yeah, occasionally and they limit the number of hours that kids can be on to play yeah. those games. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the, occasionally do they do that? But you know, if you um, if you're uh, um, somehow uh, um, considered offensive in that area. Um, you're likely, you're not likely to go to jail <laughs> than otherwise. All right. Okay. Another question. And if, please yeah. identify yourself. Okay. Another question. Hello. Hi there. Hi. And your name is? I'm Adam. Um, I'm basically doing some research on, well, research hubs in the Silicon Valley area. So um, I know that, you know, this area in the U.S. is a big research hub for, tech um, fields like artificial intelligence and machine learning and that sort of thing. And there's been some recent um, stories about the uh, the visas of Chinese citizens, um, professors and students and international students um, in the area kind of coming under scrutiny. Um, right. I'm wondering if there's if these stories are more than just anecdotal, if there's if you've seen an actual impact on the research yeah. um, kind of wing or the stream of students coming into the area? Um, and then I have a related question, but I'll hold off yeah. on that for the time being. Have you? Oh, you go I, ahead. I, I mean, I am hearing the same thing. Yeah, I, I, I actually have. So um, uh, I'll use one example. Um, this is a, one of my portfolio uh, company CEOs. Um, and uh, so he um, uh, he graduated from Tsinghua, and he came to the States for, uh, for a PhD. I think he um, got his PhD from Seattle, from UW. Uh, then uh, work at Microsoft, uh, work at Google, and then uh, get married in uh, Mountain View, and I have a house here. So uh, he, he got the uh, green card, or the wife um, uh, got the green card. So they sort of gave up the green card. They uh, wanted to move back to China, so they settled in Shenzhen and then doing startups. Um, so uh, his business is similar to Google's TensorFlow, right? TensorFlow is an AI machine learning uh, platform. Uh, so he was the, the tech lead um, at Google uh, in this space. Um, so, uh, you know, everything was well um, and until I think late last year. Uh, or uh, January this year. So um, uh, he applied for a visa to come back and uh, um, attend uh, one of our events. So he was denied. He wasn't really denied, but he he uh, uh, the uh, uh, embassy just keeps asking questions, right? Asking for more information. You know, first the bank statement, and then was something else. So um, you know, they uh, just didn't grant visa for him. Mm. So um, then uh, that's one. And uh, uh, my friend. Who are uh, 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 who are professors um, in the Tsinghua? So two of my friends, both said, uh, um, you know, start late last year. Uh, it was very difficult for Tsinghua professors to get visa, especially if you're a computer science professors. But having said that, uh, one of my other friends from Beida, uh, also a computer science uh, a professor, just came here. So. Yeah, so I'm not sure, um, you know, about the specific data, but I hear those anecdotes too. Okay, another question. Okay, I'm Mitchell Bonner. Uh, you to uh, to Rebecca. You mentioned that China is interested in going into Southeast Asia. There, right there, but uh, I think China has to be careful going into countries for the OBOR and some of these other projects. The Chinese government tends to want to deal with authoritarian governments for a lot of these projects, and not with the ordinary people. But if these governments do change, then they, then China has problems with some of their projects because people may not want to approve the projects that they're 
there are one party states approved and they don't like anymore. Mm-hmm. And I was wondering if the Chinese government is aware of this, that it needs to be more in contact with the regular people to avoid problems like they've had in, in Sri Lanka and right. in, in Burma, Myanmar. And uh, a few other places. Sure. I mean, I think you're talking about some of the Belt and Road projects. Yeah, yes, the Belt and Road. I, I have a, I've been in Laos. I have friends in Laos. I can. They're building the railroad across Laos, and the people are not being treated properly. And they'll probably end up blaming the Chinese railroad project for the fact that they're being cheated by their local government to, over the loss of land and so like this. Mm-hmm. And if the government wants to have these projects, say, work in these other countries, uh, they need to have the people be willing to, say, buy into these projects. But if these people will not buy in the projects because they feel they've been cheated, yeah. be a lot of trouble for China and the OBR projects. Sure. No, I think that this is a managerial issue, and I have heard that the quality control on these projects is, is not where it should be. Um, and as the Belt and Road Initiative continues and expands to other markets, it's going to be, become a bigger issue. Mm. Another question. Hi, I'm Rachel. Um, thank you so much. Um, I really love the example you gave of Zoom. Um, you know, I've read their financial filings and they're pretty incredible. So I've been really interested in global companies and U.S. companies that have part of their supply chain reliant on China. And I wanted to dive deeper on that. What are the bets and challenges for, you know, companies that, you know, are starting to incorporate parts of their supply chain in China? And, you know, are these good bets? Go ahead. As- I, yeah, I think uh, um, um, there used to be um, one thing you must do, right? If you're a global company, so uh, now a lot of a lot of new a lot of companies are uh, rethinking about that. Um, I think uh, one of the uh, intentions, um, you know, in this administration, is that um, uh, they want to, um, you know, if China resists right to sign a deal, uh, the longer they do, uh, the higher risk they they take um, to have those companies remove their value chain out of China. Um, so that's a, a very clear um, uh, strategy. Um, and uh, I do know people um, uh, have um, some some companies have moved as least partial, part, partly their supply chain out of China uh, to Vietnam, to some other places. Um, but it's also very hard to do. It's very costly to do that. Um, you know, it. Um, uh, so Apple, for example, had uh, spent a lot of effort to build up this uh, supply chain. And then uh, um, um, I've heard some great things they've done, um, you know, to make it almost a state of art. Um, so uh, it's very costly uh, on both sides. Um, so uh, I'm also thinking about uh, the Chinese companies uh, doing that. So um, it used to be, uh, you know, a good example of a globalization. Right? If you want to make some hardware, uh, you know, some devices, uh, you just go to Shenzhen. That's almost one stop. Right? You go talk to a bunch of people. Uh, the whole in- ecosystem is almost there. Um, you don't need to go anywhere else. And then you get things done very fast. Right? Even if you want to do smaller batches, right, you can find people to get it done. So, um, you know, that today, if you uh, do have such need, um, it's more challenging. Uh, you don't know where to go uh, in some cases. Um, so that's, um, that's, that, that is a challenge, uh, even for some of our portfolio companies. Yeah, it's hard to uh, replace that. The, some of these China components, that's, yeah. uh, sometimes you can't get them anywhere else. Right. So right. you have to rely on China. Yeah. 
Um, so I think, uh, anyhow, these are great issues to discuss. Uh, we will be, as uh, Silicon Dragon, uh, goes, uh, embarks on a new journey with the, with the book, Tech Titans of China. We will be back to Silicon Valley area September 27th. Uh, so you could check that out at SiliconDragonVentures.com. We'll also be in New York City on September 12th in Boston and uh, Washington, D.C. and uh, other markets over, overseas. So hopefully you'll check that out and, and join us uh, Join us for other locations. Uh, so thank you very much for having us here at the Commonwealth Club. We really enjoyed it. And we all thank you, Rebecca Fannin, Silicon Dragon Ventures, and Wei Jiang, Jun Fund, and Momentor. And we thank all of you for being here tonight with Commonwealth Club and look forward to many more contemporary issues. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.